Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. When you see videos like that and you live every day in the reality of our world of, of uh, all different levels of stress and, and hurt and pain, uh, one of the things that uh, we want to give away, we don't like to give away stuff, right? People ask us for stuff, usually weekly. Uh, we live in a culture of people asking for things. And uh, a lot of stuff we don't want to give away. But the one thing I, I think all of us would love to be able just to give away is our stress, right? Uh, I have often uh, stood while someone's asking me for something and thinking, you know, I, I, I don't have any uh, spare shoes that I can give away. I've already given those away or spare clothes. Um, but I would like to give you my stress. Could I give you my worries? Could you, you mind taking that uh, just, just for a while? But even, even our worries and our stress are difficult for us to give away. Uh, we don't give them just to anyone, do we? Uh, we only give our worries to people that we feel like really love us and actually are able to help us in our time of need, right? Uh, we're, we're slow in actually opening up our hearts and sharing those deepest parts of our stress and our worries because we want to place it into hands that actually can, are capable, uh, who not only can help us with the problem, but we know will love us and not judge us. I, I want us to look this morning at First Peter, the last part of the letter of First Peter. It's sort of his concluding remarks. Uh, Peter's writing people who are in the midst of incredible stress, people who are in amazing persecution, and uh, he's writing to them just to give his final, his final summary of his letter that he's writing to them, and a final encouragement to help them to keep going on, to keep, you know, keep moving in the midst of, of tremendous stress and persecution, anxiety. And this is what he says, 1 Peter 5, verse 5. He says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And, and I would add like a little footnote in here, so that he would pull you out of your pit, uh, you know, help you off the ground to help you uh, keep moving and functioning in this world. The mighty hand of God. It says, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. You heard it in the hymn that we sang a, a little bit ago. The mighty hand of God protects and comforts and leads and delivers, right? It's, uh, when we humble ourselves to the mighty hand of God, is, it is a hand of comfort. It's a hand of, of grace. It's a, it's a powerful hand. It's a hand that actually helps us in our time of need. The strong hand of God is referred to by Moses. The Lord brought you out of Egypt, right? Um, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your might. God brought his people forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. We see this in, in the book of Deuteronomy. This idea of, the, of God's mighty hand is on the destiny of his people if they humbly and faithfully accept his guidance. Christians never resent the experiences of life and never rebel against them because they know that the mighty hand of God is in control of their lives and that he has a destiny for them. So we humble ourselves to the capable hands of God. This is what Peter is saying to those who are in the middle of suffering and persecution. Humility. Humility actually speaks to our recognition that God has capacity that we don't. 
And so we give ourselves to him because of his capacity, realizing that his capacity is greater than our capacity. And so we, we give it to him. We humble ourselves and say, without you, I can do nothing. Last couple of months, and uh, now I guess a year and a half we're, we're on here, but the last couple of months I, I have enjoyed more than ever before uh, the friendship of my neighbors. Uh, I know my neighbors on my street better than I've ever known them. Uh, we, we tend to see each other on the streets uh, for whatever reason, exercising or walking, and I've met so many of my neighbors lately, and, and they, we want to talk. We're anxious for a conversation. I think uh, extended isolation has really <laughs> sort of pushed people to have more conversations, uh, those that are available in front of them, and so many conversations on my street. One of the things that I've enjoyed about those conversations is that my neighbors want to talk about God. I don't know if I've ever been, ever lived in a place, uh, ever in, in our history, my history as a human being, where I've been around more people who want to speak about God. I, I find it so refreshing and amazing and extraordinary. These are, these are the, some of the things I'm hearing on my street. We need to talk about God. You know, we, we didn't talk about him before this, but we need to talk about him. We need him more than ever before. One of, my, one of my neighbors says, we shouldn't be ashamed of talking about God. He's who we need more than ever. I've heard people share that they, you know, they've, they've avoided God in the past just because of different hurts. One, one, one friend on my street says, I was mad at God, but I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. We need to come back to God. We need to have conversations about God. I have loved my conversation on the street of people realizing, you know, all the things that we used to depend on, and just the sober realization that all of these things that we depended on for our comfort just are, don't go as deep as God can. And, and all of us, I think, so many of us are realizing that the things that we've depended on so much for our comfort and for direction just don't add up to what God can do, the capacity of our God. Peter is inviting those in the midst of suffering and struggle to humble themselves before God's mighty hand and to come to him. We've always needed God, right? It's just that we've never been able to do anything. We've never been able to do anything without him. But we're realizing it more than ever that we need him more than ever. When we speak to God, do we lecture him? Do we, we tell him? what he should be doing for us or do we, we just give him lip service when we pray when we come to him do we just try to impress our friends by our faith or our incredible words or or we do, do we respond to God with humility do we come to him in prayer saying God I can do nothing without you we are invited to acknowledge the fact that without him we can do nothing absolutely nothing so God, I, I come to you because you are perfectly aware of the deepest detail of my problems. You alone are the solution. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. I think we need to pause. And maybe you would pause with me this morning and just say, God, without you I can do nothing. Would you do that with me this morning? If you're watching online here, let's, let's, just, let's just stop for a moment 
Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves before you this morning, and we, we confess that our skill set is not nearly as capable as yours. So, Father, we acknowledge that we can do nothing without you this morning. Lord, we need you. We've always needed you. But we need you more than ever before, Father. We are hopefully more aware of our need for you than ever before. So, Lord, we acknowledge we can do nothing without you. Peter continues to write. He says, So humble yourself under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. And verse 7, give all your worries and cares to God. For he what? He cares for you. Giving them, casting them. Jesus is saying, here, give, give it to me. Keep casting. This is the idea of this ongoing, continual giving our worries to him. Not, not, not a one-time moment. Maybe something we did 10 years ago <laughs> or two years ago. We need to keep giving it to God. Humble yourself before God and cast, give your anxieties to God. His salvation extends to his children's children. Uh, the Father loves us in a way that is spectacular, a way that we most of the time don't really understand, but we're invited to keep giving, to keep handing our worries to him in humility before him because we can do what? Nothing without him. Peter continues, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter is saying, with humility, humble yourself before the Lord. Give your worries to God, alert, aware that your worries are not over. That there's so much more suffering that's ahead of you. So develop a lifestyle of humility, casting your anxieties on him, giving it to him on, a, on an ongoing basis. Do this knowing that problems are just around the corner. These aren't your last problems. Suffering is coming. It has already been such a great part of their story and the people he's writing. He's saying, listen, uh, the people that he's writing have been ostracized by, by their family and friends because of their faith. They've been sidelined in business. There's so many things have gone wrong for the people that Peter is writing to. In some cases, physical abuse, torture, others being killed, torn limb from limb, uh, a type of persecution and suffering that we can only imagine, most of us. But because of their faith, uh, they had been persecuted. Peter was telling them that it wasn't over. He says, resist Satan, stand firm in the faith, and stand firm, aware that that others are suffering just like you are. So this morning as we, as we stand together, I, I think we need to acknowledge the fact that we're not the only ones who are experiencing stress or worries. And we're invited also by God to humble ourselves before God's hand, casting our, our anxieties to Him, giving our anxieties to God. Because He loves us, aware that our suffering is not over. And to develop a lifestyle of this humble alertness and, and consistent, constant giving of our stress and our worries to God. Because he loves us. You know, Peter 
when he was addressing in this letter, early on in the letter, this is what he says, 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, and trying to wrap my head around this comment, instead be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the world. You know, I, I think still, I am still surprised that the, the kind of stress we're living with in the world continues. <laughs> Have you been surprised by it? Maybe we should stop being surprised and, and develop a lifestyle of humble submission and dependence on Christ through this time. There's probably going to be more stress we shouldn't be surprised by. It. We need to develop a lifestyle of giving our worries to God. So Peter is telling them how to operate. Place yourself in complete dependence on God, giving all your worries to God, aware of God's great love for you, alert in a world that is messed up and will keep being messed up. We need to hand with humility our worries and cares to God who loves us and continue to come to his feet for understanding, for comfort, for leadership, for strength. Peter goes on and says here in this, in this, you know, this admonition, this direction to, to humble ourselves before God. He says, and this is, this is what you need to do, but this is what Christ will do for you. When, you. when we humble ourselves before the Lord, we submit, we give him our cares and our anxieties. Peter says, Jesus himself will do something for us. I, I want to I pause here for a moment. Um, and, and just have us think through this concept. Let me read it to you, and then we'll go back. And after you have suffered a little while, this is First uh, Peter 5, verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will, say it with me, himself. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter is obviously uh, overwhelmed by this thought. He says, to him be dominion forever and ever. Just praise God. That's what he's saying here. Praise God for that. Christ himself. As I, as I ponder this, I'm, I'm blown away by this, this Christ himself, the personal nature of our God who will come to us directly and speak to us. He himself will walk us through whatever stress, whatever crisis we're in. He himself will walk us through. Many of you online and many of you here sitting understand exactly what that's like. You've experienced this, this comforting presence of Christ who's encouraged you and, and built you back up to the person that you, you thought you were, but encouraged you so you can stand again and move and function. Christ himself comes to us. Uh, this particular text is interesting because uh, there are four different, unique, and distinctive things that Christ does for us that Peter talks about here. But we in the English language, and I would imagine every other language that is not Greek, struggles to translate these words in a way that's accurate. Um, if you're on your own uh, electronic Bible or, or paper Bible, whatever you have today, you'll, you'll see that these four words are different 
uh, even in all the different English translations, they're represented differently. The New Living Translation, the ESV, and the New King James Version, just to give you three. Those three uh, use different English words. Matter of fact, some of the, the Bibles will, will actually use the same word for a different Greek word on this list. In other words, the word established is used uh, by different translations to represent these different words. So one, will, one will, will say that the word for confirm is established, and another one will say that the last word, which is the word of, of settling you, grounding you, is, is also the word established. We struggle in English to kind of translate this. I'm just pointing this out to you because um, if you're like me and you're reading this text uh, on your own time and you're trying to figure out exactly what Jesus is going to do for you, you want to understand it, right? I do. Uh, as I was reading this, I was going, well, wh what does this mean? What do these four words mean? Let me read them to us again. Christ himself will do what? Restore, confirm, strengthen, and settle you. Or, or ground you. So uh, no matter what English translation you have in front of you today, or, and I would imagine other languages, they're going to use different words. I want to make sure I understand what these means. As I researched this and studied this for my own personal benefit, I realized that theologians who tried to translate this and interpret this would use metaphors that I couldn't relate to. Example, in talking about the word strengthen, um, they used this idea of taking bronze and throwing it into fire and that bronze gets, gets harder as it's experiencing the fire. I can't relate to that. Uh, last I checked, I wasn't bronze. Uh, I can't relate to being strong like a piece of metal. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but I really struggled with that. And so as I went through this, I went back to the original Greek word to try to really picture this. I'm going to try, my goal this morning is to try to help us understand these four things that Christ does for us in a way that I believe is accurate. But I would encourage you also to, to look at what I've said and to go back and study this on your own. Christ himself will restore at, the, at its root, this word actually means fix to men. That, that Jesus will fix us. Once we've suffered for a while, he will, he will mend us, fix us. Christ himself will put you back together better. That's how I see this text. Christ himself will fix you. You're not going to be the same. You're going to look different than you were before the suffering but he's going to fix you to be better. He's going to mend you. That's that restoring. Uh, another English word is perfect, all right, that is used by these different translations. Restore, perfect, fix. I, I've consulted science, literature, history, philosophy, culture uh, for answers to this world and this life. I don't know if you've done that. Uh, read, studied, science, literature, history, philosophy. And I've done this actually without the help of Christ in my life. And I stayed confused and stressed for quite a few years of my life trying to figure this out with everything but Christ. As we study science, literature, history, philosophy, and culture, and, and I really think we should study these, we need to do so with humility. Humility before God, completely dependent on God for his interpretation. 
and, and for his help in understanding what we're reading and studying. Only Christ is able to fix us, to perfect and restore us. He will increase our faith and build the character that we need and the purpose in our lives. I, I think what he's saying here is that Christ actually will have a DTR moment with us. You know what a DTR is? Define the relationship. Are we talking? Do you love me? Are we exclusive? Let's, let's create the boundaries of our relationship and have an honest conversation to where we stand. I believe that's what Jesus does with us. Do you love me? Are we exclusive? Christ himself will have this conversation. Listen, Peter, who wrote this, understood this one really well, right? <laughs> Peter, who's denied Christ three times, right, before he was crucified. And Jesus is crucified. He, raised, he, he comes to life again. And then, and then what happens? Peter's fishing. John 21 exposes this. You know what Peter's gone back to is fishing. He's fishing with his mates. They're out. And Jesus appears on the beach, right? And he looks out and he says, uh, hey, uh, have you caught any fish? The Bible tells us they did not dare ask who it was <laughs> because they knew it was Jesus. He said, hey, listen, cast your net on the other side of the boat. They weren't catching anything, by the way. And John, I love John, uh, tells us exactly how many fish they caught that night. 153 large fish were caught that night. So they were pulling the net back, and then Jesus put his cloak on and jumped out of the boat and ran through the water and saw Jesus. Jesus said, go get some fish. So they put some fish on, and Jesus made them breakfast. After breakfast, Jesus asked, this is a DTR moment, asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't know what he was pointing to, whether the fish or... But Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. You can hear this, you know, <laughs> well, if you love me, then clean the dishes. No, that's not what he's saying here. <laughs> but there's this, this define the relationship moment. Do you love me? Then, then feed my lambs. And, and Jesus continues. Ask him again, uh, <clears throat> do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord Peter, uh, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus says. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the Bible tells us, John writes, that Peter was hurt that Jesus asked this a third time. So, Lord, you know everything. I love you. You can just hear this, right? I'm yours. I love you. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. I believe Christ himself will come to us and he will perfect us or restore us, fix us, and he renews, I believe, that, that, that kind of restoration, that perfection, that fixing is to, is to increase our love for God. 
At that moment, it's to say, love me more than anything else. And love a lost world. Feed my sheep. Take care of mine. That kind of perfection, I believe, is what he's talking about here. Is this renewing our affections for him. Renewing our love for him or growing our love for him. And then filling us with this purpose. This is your destiny. It is to love a lost world. We know Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, actually fulfilled this destiny, right? Peter did this. And now he's writing this letter saying, look, Christ himself, like he did me. <laughs> he's going to ask you, do you, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Jesus himself will fix us, make us better, and he will confirm us. And I believe this is the, the word here is this idea of, of transforming our minds. He'll help us in our thinking. He'll, he'll confirm in us what is true. I believe that's what this, past, this word means here. He'll help us to get our thinking right. God has walked with me so many times to get my thinking right about a situation or a moment. How about you? Right thinking gives me peace to see things truly as they are. Paul said this in Romans 12. He says, Dear brothers, I plead to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. In verse 2 there, he says, Don't copy the behavior of the customs of this world, but, and understand the emphasis on the one who transforms. Who is it? But let God, you see it here, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Christ himself perfects us and fixes us, has a DTR with us. And then he begins to transform the way we think. God does this, speaking to us directly. God does this as we meditate on his, on his word, right? God does this through the, through the words and encouragement of others as well. That God helps us transform the way we think. Uh, I'm sure many of you listening online and here this morning can understand this, where you are thinking incorrectly and Christ himself walked with you to change the way you think. Has that happened to you? Can you relate to this, the, the, the sweet presence of God helping us, transforming the way we think? It's happened to me on endless times, but one, one in particular. I used to really struggle with, uh, this is just an example for you, uh, but the wrong thinking that God approved of me because of all of my good works. I used to believe that God's approval of me was based on all the good things that I did instead of on his son, Jesus Christ. And I was struggling with this and I spoke to a friend about it. And he said, hey, listen, read 1 John 19 and 20. It's not on the PowerPoint, but I'm just going to read it to you. This is what 1 John says. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. This little verse changed my life. Change my thinking, realizing that when I'm condemning myself, to know that God is greater than my own heart and my own thinking. That I could not alter God's love for me based on my personal condemnation. I had no authority or power over God. God is greater than my heart. God is greater than what I think of myself. And so, God's love for me was not dependent on me. God loved me before me. 
and God loved me through my life and will continue to love me. We cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. I didn't realize that, oh my goodness, it's not dependent on me. My, my hope is dependent on Jesus. God is greater than what I think of myself. I can, I can self-castigate, condemn myself all day long, but, but Christ still loves me. He's greater than me. He's greater than my opinion of myself. His opinion is greater than my opinion of me. Oh, gosh, what a freeing moment that was. I'm just grace. Just saying, oh, wow, thank you, Lord. Then you love me not, not based on my limitations, but you love me based on your capacity, your greatness. What, what an amazing day that was. And, 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 and Christ himself taught me that. Christ himself will walk with us to, to, to restore us our thinking. And he will strengthen us. He will strengthen us. I believe this word here, strength, uh, is, is related to uh, the strength of our soul and our passions. I believe that's what, when I'm talking about strong, and not a piece of bronze, but, <laughs> or a piece of metal, but, but strength of character, who we are inside. When I think of strong people, I, I, I think of people who are able to love, who are able to have joy in the midst of suffering. I'm blown away by people. I say, that guy is really strong. Look at him. He's had so much come to him, but he still continues to love. He continues to be joyful. Wow, that's a strong person. I don't know if you are like me and follow some of these shows, if you have access to them. Um, anybody here watch America's Got Talent? There, there's a, a particular uh, lady who, who tried out for America's Got Talent. She goes by the name Nightbird. Have you, have you seen this? Uh, Nightbird, her name is actually Jane. Um, I think if my name was Jane, maybe I would also choose Nightbird. But I'm, I'm joking. Uh, incredible, incredible story. But so, so Nightbird goes up and she's just beaming. If you, you can YouTube this. But she is standing auditioning and she is beaming with this unmistakable joy. And, and unflappable calmness in front of these judges. Uh, it's almost like the judges were auditioning for her. An amazing, and she sang a song called It's Okay. Uh, extraordinary song that she wrote herself and it absolutely blew the judges away. They gave her the golden ticket, the golden buzzer, I think is what it's called, uh, absolutely blown away. Why was her song so powerful that day? Why was her audition so extraordinarily meaningful? Well, it's because of her strength, of her character, who she is. In 2017, she was diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer, and her husband uh, that she was married to uh, at the time um, left her uh, three months after her diagnosis. When she auditioned uh, this year uh, with America's Got Talent, uh, she uh, was was positive she had, she had cancer in her liver, cancer in her spine, but stood there and sang this song for the judges. Uh, this is what she says about hope. She says um, that she was sitting uh, on a swing in the morning before the sunrise, and uh, she, the birds started singing before the sunrise. And she said she was struck by the fact that these birds were anticipating the sunrise. And so they were singing, knowing that the sun would rise. Not seeing it yet, but knowing it was coming. They were just celebrating the sunrise. She said that's what motivated her song. And 
possibly her name, of Nightbird. But this anticipating the sunrise, this is what she says. These are her words. If something so awful and utterly catastrophic can happen, then doesn't it also mean that something impossibly beautiful and impossibly redemptive can happen? Wow. I don't know if she's a believer or not. I, I can't say that. I don't know. But I'm blown away by this, this strength she has, this character, uh, that made that song absolutely breathtaking. If you have a chance, listen to it. Her music is incredible because of her strong soul. I, I believe this is what Christ will do for us. When we go through hard times, through crisis, we suffer for a little while, and then Christ himself will strengthen us, right? He, he will put something in us that we didn't have before. This is the conversations I'm having on my street. These strong, incredible people on my street who are saying, I want to speak about God. Our neighbors are telling each other now that they love each other. These big, these big men telling me they love me and hugging me on my street of all, what is going on? It's incredible. This, this strength of character is, is happening. It's probably on your streets as well, but for certainly on my street, uh, people are, are stronger than ever because of this hard times. You know, Peter, who's writing to the, his people in, in the first chapter of the letter, um, he says this about them that he's writing to who've gone through so much persecution. He says this about them. He says, you love him. This is in verse 8, 1 Peter 1, 8. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward of trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. That's what he says here. And Peter is not telling them they should be joyful. He's not telling them they should believe without seeing or love him without seeing him. They're saying, this is what you're doing. Peter is merely celebrating in his letter what they're already doing. Could it be that strength of character is this? It's to love what we haven't seen, to love God even though we don't see him. To beam with this passion and love for God, the one we can't see. Trusting Him, the one we can't see. And it could, it, could it be also, too, that, that Christ Himself will give us an inexpressible, a happiness so great that there are no words to describe it. That's what an inexpressible joy is. I just don't have enough words to tell you how happy I am. Strength. The kind of joy that you want to look at someone and say, I, I can't imagine that you're going through a hard time. I don't see it on your face. I don't see you seem so joyful. Some of the most joyful people that you'll ever meet in life have gone through more worries than you could possibly imagine. But they've learned to cast their worries humbly before the Lord and give it to him. And God has made them strong. Christ himself, he goes on to say, Christ will also settle you, ground you on a firm foundation. You ever heard of the word unflappable? I love that word. It just, you, you say it, it just sounds like, uh, I, I, I visualize 
a piece of cloth blowing in the wind that holds on no matter what, unflappable. <laughs> we know wind in Namibia, right? But able to withstand the extraordinary wind. I believe that, that God, Christ is, what we're promised here is that Christ will place you on a solid foundation, establish you, make you stable, that you can't be toppled over. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. Paul is in prison. He's gone through, you know, unimaginable persecution and suffering. This is what he says. Talks about his calling, and then in verse 12 he says, This is why I suffer as I do. What are the next words there? If you want to, say it with me. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Christ himself grounded and placed Paul on a firm foundation of conviction that was unshakable. Sitting in prison. Listen, I'm here because of Christ. And I'm suffering because of Jesus. But I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. How easily you and I can be toppled over when the first crisis comes, we doubt, we question. Some of us actually just saying, I, I can't believe in this Jesus anymore. Jesus just doesn't add up, I'm done. Easily toppled over. Christ himself, when we humble ourselves before him, we humble ourselves before him, we go to him and we say, here, here's my anxiety, here's my doubt, here's my frustration, here's my confusion, I give it to you. Here, take it. God, you're not adding up to me today, but I'm talking to you first about it. Here. Christ himself will help you filter, will help you understand what's going on. And then he will establish you. He will settle you on to that foundation that is unshakable, that you can't be toppled over. That's what he's saying here. I am not ashamed, for I know who I believed. Yes, I've gone through a hard time, but, but hey, Christ is worth it, right? It's what, what, what Paul, in prison because of all the suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ, is, can say, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. He goes on to say in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what for you? Guard your hearts. And your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself will protect your thinking. Will protect your convictions. And settle you on an unshakable foundation. No matter what comes to you, you will not be toppled over. About a, I guess a week ago, Saturday a week ago. So it's been a week and a day. Uh, September the, the 11th. The world remembered the tragedy uh, that, that we label 9-11, 9-1-1. 20 years ago, uh, planes flew into uh, the Twin Towers in New York and flew into other structures as well. And uh, there were people who were lost from all over around the world. So not just Americans, but uh, the international community was, was shocked by, by this incredible moment. Couldn't believe this was even possible. Uh, I first, I remember exactly where I was. I remember that day so well. It's actually my friend Helen, who's actually with us this morning, uh, called me and said, this is the first time I heard about it, was from Helen. 
she also gives me good news too, but uh, this day. Uh, I'll never forget it. She called me and said, are you seeing the news? See what's happening? And so uh, I was fixing my office door. I had a, a screwdriver and a, and a hammer in my hand. And I answered the phone and I, I walked into our living room, turned the TV on, and I held the screwdriver and a hammer in my hand watching for, the, for hours, just seeing this thing unfold. Um, it, was, it was quite a day and it took me a while to wrap my head around what had happened. A few weeks after this horrible, horrible crisis, Billy Graham, who is an evangelist, a world-renowned evangelist, he's no longer with us. He's actually with God now, but was just an extraordinary preacher evangelist, was invited to the National Cathedral where presidents from former, current and former presidents of the United States and presidents from around the world, other leaders of the world, gathered together at this National Cathedral just to have a moment of honoring the dead and, and figuring out next steps. And Billy Graham was invited to speak. And this is what he said. He talked about um, the horrible, I'm just going to read to you what he said. It's extraordinary. This week we watched in horror as planes crashed into the steel and glass of the World Trade Center. Those majestic towers built on solid foundations were examples of prosperity and creativity. When damaged, those buildings plummeted to the ground, imploding in upon themselves. Yet underneath the debris is a foundation that was not destroyed. Therein lies the truth of that hymn, how firm a foundation. He says, yes, our nation has been attacked, buildings destroyed, lives lost, but now we have a choice, whether to implode or disintegrate emotionally and spiritually as a people and a nation, or to choose to become stronger through all of this struggle, to rebuild on a solid foundation. And Billy Graham went on to say, and I believe that we are starting to rebuild on that foundation. That foundation, this is what he says, our foundation is our trust in God. And in that faith, we have the strength to endure something as difficult and as horrendous as what we've experienced this last week. He, as he ended his service, he says, My prayer today is that we will feel the loving arms of God wrapping around us, and that as we trust in him, we will know in our hearts that he will never forsake us. I wanted to share that with you today because 20 years later, the world remembered. It was just a week ago. They remembered this event. And in it, when I saw, uh, you know, current presidents and others there at the memorial, at these incredible memorial that's been built in place of the Twin Towers, I was struck by this thought because I was so moved by Billy Graham's sermon when I heard it 20 years ago. I thought, what, what foundation have I built on? Uh, am I really sitting on the foundation Billy Graham referred to way back when? Are, are we, are, are nations better because they depended on the foundation of trust in Christ? Where are our nations today in comparison to 20 years ago? Have we as a people learned from our mistakes? After that horrible event, I know churches in the States uh, grew. They grew in size. They grew in number. Uh, prayers were increased more than ever before. They would, have, they would stop in the middle of a service and just have time just to pray and gather around together as, a, as the body of Christ, trusting, just this visible trusting of Christ in the midst of a horrible situation. 
I've had to ask myself, honestly, in the midst of this crisis, are we doing that? Are we trusting God, that same foundation? Or are we depending on the usual stuff, the things that have never really satisfied? Are we so caught up in me and our truth that we can't actually humble ourselves before God and say, God, I want to hear from you. I need you. We still need the mighty hand of God in our lives. And clarity, strength, transformation of our minds and our souls, all of this is only possible with Christ himself walking us through the process. We still need to humble ourselves before God. And Christ himself then will establish us, will put us, will settle us into this foundation so that we can't be toppled over, we can't be knocked over. How firm a foundation, how firm a foundation is in Christ. How firm a foundation. The invitation, we need to be aware that we are under continual and constant attack. It's not going to stop. We need to be alert, resisting the devil, humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, giving him all our worries. Why? Say it with me. Because he cares for us. And after we suffer for a while, Christ himself will fix us. He will confirm our thinking. He will strengthen our soul so that we can sing beautifully with joy. And he will settle us on an unshakable foundation. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you, God, that you personally walk with us and speak to us. Lord, we can cast our carries, our worries onto you because, Lord, you, you love us and you are able. Oh, we love you, God. We praise you. And, Lord, thank you, God. We come to you as a church, wherever we find ourselves this morning, either in this room or online. But, Father, we come to you and we just say, God, we can do nothing without you. Nothing. Lord, we need your mighty hand of protection, of care. Lord, today we declare as a church, as a body, that we love you. Father, we love you. But Lord, we are blown away this morning of how much you love us. Lord, you consistently, without interruption, you just love us. And so, Father, we, we give our cares to you this morning. We thank you. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.